I'm excited to cap off or to finish out our series that we've been in over the last seven weeks. Today makes number eight. And um, I really have enjoyed uh, studying for this series and like preparing for this series. But I've also really enjoyed uh, what God has spoken to each one of us throughout this this series. I think the messages that are given to each of these churches were so powerful and they still hold sway today, uh, more than a thousand years later. Um, the seven letters and the seven cities uh, or churches that we've covered, we have up on a map for you. Um, we started off in the city of Ephesus and then we traveled around basically a horseshoe, which actually ended up being an old mail route. That's the way that they would, it was a, a trade route as well as commerce and things like that, but they would also deliver mail and take things. So they took the message to the church in Ephesus, from Ephesus to the church in Smyrna. And from Smyrna, they took both of those letters to Pergamum and so on and so forth, so that these messages were a blessing to every church. Now, there was this thought that I had that I wanted to share with you, which is each one of them had the ability or the opportunity to learn from the message to the other churches. So when the the letter that was written to Ephesus arrives all the way over in Sardis or Philadelphia, they were not to read that and go, look at what God said to that church. I'm so glad we ate that church. No, they were supposed to learn and listen to the words that were delivered to that church and have them as a warning, as it were, for themselves. So, I want to recap the seven cities, just leave that map up there, and we're going to go through them really quickly just so that you give a, a, so you get a good idea of what we're talking about. The letter to the church in Ephesus, uh, it was the forgetful church. They lost that love and feeling. I won't sing it. Okay. Uh, they lost the love and feeling that they had at first for Christ, and Jesus is telling them to come back to him. In Smyrna, that church suffered quite a bit for their faith. And Jesus tells them, hold on. Hold on, I am coming to you. I will be there for you. In Pergamum, the next city at the top of the map, it's the compromising church. This church compromised the word of God for friendship with the world. So there's a strong warning to that church that they receive that says, turn back to me. In fact, each one of these either says, hold on to me or turn back to me. Thyatira, that church was known as the tolerant church. They not only tolerated sin in their midst, but they also celebrated it. They participated in all of the stuff that was going on in the culture of their day, and they thought nothing of it. Jesus, however, did think something of it, and he tells them, you need to stop tolerating sin. Then the city of Sardis receives a letter from Jesus Christ himself, and Sardis was the sleeping church. Jesus says, wake up. You've got to wake up and realize where you're at. The body of Christ is meant to be active on the earth. It's not meant to be asleep or passive. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Philadelphia is the enduring church. Like Smyrna, Philadelphia receives no correction. Wouldn't you like that? No correction, right? They receive no correction from Jesus Christ, only encouragement, encouraging words that he knows what they've, that they've been through. He sees them, he loves them, and he encourages them to press on. 
And then last week we looked at the city of Laodicea. It was the lukewarm church. Such an interesting historical significance for them to have read this letter. They built these aqueducts in cities five and seven and eight miles away to pipe in water to their city. Cold from one and hot from another. And by the time it reached the city of Laodicea, it actually tasted really gross and it was lukewarm. They knew this and Jesus calls them a lukewarm church. He has something really important to say to them. He says essentially, get white hot or don't be here at all. So he wants us to burn brightly for him. And these encouragements to the church, we can call them all that, even though there were some that had really strong corrections to them. These encouragements were meant so that they would act upon them. Amen? If you are a parent, uh, you know what, what this is like. When you say something to your children, you expect that they will act upon it. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> If you own a dog and you give them a command, you expect that they will act upon it. If you work a job and you have a boss, he or she expects that you will act upon it. When you receive that word, the, the choice is yours, but you should really consider what your action is and do something about it. So today, my privilege and, and something that I've been working on for a while now is the eighth message in this series, and it is the letter to the church in Clinton, Mississippi. I really believe that there's something to be taken from each one of these churches, but I believe with all of my heart, and we talk about it here very frequently, that the Holy Spirit still talks today. There's not duct tape on his mouth. He's not dead. He speaks still today, even after 2,000 years ago, having been on the days of Pentecost and falling on the believers there. I believe that he doesn't just speak in the corporate setting, but that he can speak to you individually in your own life, in your own circumstances. So my hope today is that you who are here and those who hear this message would really actually tune in your spiritual ears and hear what the Spirit is saying, but not just hear it. My challenge, the challenge that I've been given from God is that I would obey it. And I pass that same challenge on to you today. So I want to give you some background. As we've done every message in this series, I want to give you some background on the city of Clinton, our city. You may know some of these facts, but you may not. Some of them might surprise you. Uh, according to 2018 statistics, we are home to more than 27,000 people. That's a lot. Uh, we are a historic city. We've been around for a while. We've got some small town charm, some, you know, old, old brick streets and the old town area and little boutique shops. It's kind of cutesy. A series of refreshing springs are what drew people here to Clinton to settle here in the first place. And you may not know that. In 1805, people came here passing through and began to, experiencing, began to experience the refreshment from those springs. But there is also a bit of a sordid past. I don't know if you realize that, but most cities would have something in their history that we don't really talk about too much these days. But back during Reconstruction in the 1800s, there were race riots. And some estimate that in the city of Clinton alone, more than 100 people, blacks and whites, were massacred. 
They had riots here based on politics and based on reconstruction and trying to uh, integrate uh, the, the black individuals into the voting right system and all of that stuff. And so today, though, we are rated in the top 10 most diverse cities to live in in Mississippi. So we've come quite a, a long ways. Clinton was also home, you might not know this, to Camp Clinton, a POW camp. Do you guys know this? Shake your head at me if you do. Okay, some of you do, some of you don't. At the height of the, the, um, the running of this POW camp that had mostly uh, German soldiers in it that had been captured in Africa, they had upwards of 3,000 POWs here in Clinton. The land that they had what they call Camp Clinton on was eventually given to Mississippi College. It, it's used today just for, um, you know, uh, cross-country track and things like that. And it's wooded. There's no buildings left up and that sort of thing. But it's still here in Clinton, that property, and it belongs to Mississippi College. So... Clinton, Mississippi, though, is a pretty cool place. I like it, okay? Uh, More than like it, I love it. Um, We're rated in the top 10 public school districts in Mississippi. This is a good thing. We're rated in the top 10 best places to raise a family in Mississippi. We're rated top 10 best suburbs for young professionals in Mississippi. And the best places to live in Mississippi, also the places with the best public schools, all in the top 10. We register in all of those categories. There are some that we fall you know, short of getting into the top 10, but these are some of the highlights. So today in Clinton, Mississippi, we have what we consider an unparalleled you know, quality of life. We have some opportunities here for education, for business, for families. We've got, like I said a moment ago, the historic charm of a small town. And also, I love this, the metropolitan convenience of getting out of the city and going to a bigger city and getting to a different restaurant and that kind of thing. It's a great place. There are no less than 30 churches in the city of Clinton. 30. There's less than 30,000 people. There's 30 churches and each one does not have a thousand people in it. So our work is not done. So there's probably five large churches that I can think of. I am friends with all five of those pastors and individuals uh, in those leadership places. And then there's 25 other ones or 24 other ones and, and us that are just like us. So our church is one of 150 or so in the state of Mississippi, and we are affiliated with the Assemblies of God. I give you some of this because I want you to know the history of our city, our town, and also of our church. We're part of the Fellowship of the Assemblies of God, and this month marks 46 years of God's faithfulness to celebrate church. This month, we've been around for 46 years, so happy birthday to us. Uh, Pastor Jim Whitney, who passed away last year, he's the one who had the vision to start the church here in Clinton back in 1973, and he did so in a remodeled, burnt-out trailer on Monroe Street down in Old Town area. We sold that property to Mississippi College, and they now have buildings there, But and we moved out here in the late 80s, early 90s. For the last 13 years, we've been known as Celebrate Church. They changed the name from First Assembly of God to Celebrate Church. I don't know all the reasons for that, but I like it. I like Celebrate Church. I think we'll keep it. So there are other churches in our city. There are bigger ones. There are older ones. But this by far is my favorite. (laughs) Amen. 
uh, we've always been known. I looked through the archives and I was telling Sam Peden a funny story about himself that was written by someone else in the archives. Um, and I've got a picture up here on the platform I'll show you in a minute that has Ann Peden uh, in younger days uh, in, the, in a crowd of a ton of children. Um, but we've always been known for our generosity, for our sacrifice, for our stick to itness, and for our faithfulness, regardless of whatever season it was that we were facing. And we've always been known to take risks for the gospel. And I would put money on the fact that they would not deny that. They are some of the uh, members that have been here the longest with us, that we have always been willing to take risks for the gospel. Do something, try it. If it works, it sticks. If it doesn't, we'll try something else. And I love that about our church. So we've been known for some great things throughout our 46 years. But I really believe that God has a a word for us as a church today, 46 years later, that will help us look towards the future by looking at our past. Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment? I want to pray over the message before we dive into God's word. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that I have to pastor Celebrate Church. I thank you for those who are here today and who will hear this word. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open up our ears to hear what you are saying. And Lord, that you would help us to be motivated to action, to do what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So my message today, even though it's called The Letter to the Church in Clinton, I have a subtitle, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. I call it Back to the Beginning. Because we want to look at the history, and I've told you a little bit of the history of the church and of the town, but there's something else there that I think that we should look at, and it applies to the message that I really believe God gave me for our church. Last year, our town, the city of Clinton, opened up something that you probably didn't even hear of and most of you wouldn't know exists. It's called Town Spring Park. Okay, A couple of you might know it. Off of Belmont Street, and it's down near Old Town. They have water from one of the natural springs that we were known for back then still flowing today, and it's flowing through a water feature in that little um, rotunda that's there with some plaques around it. It's beautiful and serene. But as I began to really ask the Lord, like, God, I really believe you want to send a message to our church and give us something for ourselves to hear and understand. Would you, would you help me? Because I couldn't let go, though, of this thought that in order to move forward, sometimes the best thing you can do is to look over your shoulder to see what has happened back at the beginning because that will help refresh the dream that you had at first. Like Jesus writes to the church and he says that will help you come back to do the things you did at first or to return to your first love. So go with me to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26 today holds the, holds the primary place that will be I want to share with you some verses. I'll give you basically a summary throughout the whole chapter. And I'm going to give you some points that I think really will help us apply the word of God today. Verse 1 says this. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar or Gerar to Abimelech king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land. 
That word sojourn, it means to be a temporary resident. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I'll give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So back at verse 1, I want you to notice there are two famines. This is a repeated cycle that has happened before. It says there was a famine in the land besides the former famine. So God had brought Abraham to settle. And when he had done that, Isaac grew up and he's now living there in that place. But he's facing a difficult season. I want you to listen with your spiritual ears today because it applies to us. He's facing a difficult season, which for him was famine. And Isaac is tempted to go to Egypt where there is no famine. There's plenty of blessing. There's abundance. There's tons of money and property and whatever, whatever you want, you could find in those days in Egypt. And he's got this desire in his heart to head towards Egypt. I'm sure it wasn't just a selfish desire. I'm sure him being the patriarch, the father of the family, that he wanted to make sure that his herds and flocks were watered and fed, that he wanted to make sure his kids were taken care of and his grandkids. And so there's no famine in Egypt and that's where he wants to head. But verse two and three tell us, God says, don't go there, stay here. If you do so, I will bless you and give you this land. Verse 4 and 5 say, essentially, in summary, I will fulfill my promise to your father Abraham, and I'm going to do it to you and through you. And it's because Abraham did something. You say, well, what did Abraham do? That one word there, he obeyed. It had to do with obedience, that he obeyed the word of the Lord. So jump down to verse 12. It says this, And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year. Read on the screen that word. Hundredfold. A hundred times over is what he reaped in the very same year that he planted. The Lord blessed him, no doubt. Verse 13, it says, And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. So he reaped what he sowed and he got back a hundred times more. That is a huge blessing. God is evident, he's, he's providentially making his presence known in Isaac's life by making sure that he understands it's God who is providing this increase. So verse 16 says this, Abimelech, the king, said to Isaac, go away from us, for you're much mightier than we are. Wait a second. God told me to come here. Now the powerful king who's here is telling me I've got to get out of here because I'm too blessed. That I've got too much that God, what? God, did you not tell me this is the place? I want you to think along the lines of what would have been going through his mind. God told him to come there and confirmed his word with blessings. But now he's being told to leave. 
Go back to verse 15, though, that I skipped intentionally. There's a parenthetical. It's added by a scribe, not the original author, later in date than the original writings. So that's why it's got parentheses around it. And it says this. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled the earth, filled earth with earth, all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. Now verse 17, it says, Isaac departed from there and he encamped in the valley and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave to them the names that his father had given them. So I want you to understand really the picture. I'm going to give you the summary of what we just said. Isaac has been brought to this place. God told him to be here. He is multiplying and being blessed beyond measure. And then the king says, hey, you got to get out of here. You're too big and mighty for us. We want you gone. So he leaves the parameters of that kingdom, goes to a valley. It could have been dozens of miles away. It could have been a short distance away. And when he gets there, he's now outside of all of the city comforts. He's away from all the stuff that he had. He's got to travel into town if he's got to buy... items and things. So he's having an issue or a problem getting water. And he starts to look around and he realizes, hey, these are the wells that my dad, Abraham, had dug, but they've been stopped up. The Philistines have come through and thrown debris inside of them and stopped up these wells that have been here for so many years. Then he digs them up. So after some initial struggles, and you could read about that in, in the same chapter, Isaac was eventually able to live in peace after redigging some of these wells. And I believe that we as a church can see some insight for ourselves from this passage. Before I tell you what those points are, I just want to show you, we've done this before a few times, but I just want to show you, this is the first congregation in 1975 little bitty burned out trailer that got renovated and it's down there it was down there on Monroe Street this is the uh, the picture that we had for the mortgage burning a couple years ago and here's an awesome picture in more recent history and I'll let Miss Ann tell me if she thinks this was somewhere in the mid 90s with that VBS Fiesta okay let's In the early 2000s. So look at this picture. This is what the stage used to look like. Still the same pink carpet. Aren't you happy? No, I'm kidding. I always joke about the carpet. But look at how many faces are present at this VBS. Adults, kids from the neighborhood, kids from all over. This is part of the history of our church. And I believe with all of my heart, there is some spiritual insight to take from the story that Isaac of Isaac redigging the wells or going back to do again what God had done at first through Abraham that he wants to encourage and challenge us to have hope for the future by going back to our beginning. I think the first thing that I notice in this passage as I studied it and I want to share this with you, number one is this, that obedience to God should trump our desires 
and even our perceived needs. If he truly is who he says he is, then he's got this. Right? We don't belittle you if you have a lack of faith. In fact, Jesus didn't belittle those who had a lack of faith. He encouraged them to gain more faith. He did say to the disciples that were following with him, Oh, ye of little faith. Like, come on, guys. You've already seen me do great things. Come on. I can do this. I shared recently in our first Wednesday service about the the father with the son who was brought to Jesus. And he says, you know, Lord, if you can do anything, please, please help, help me. And Jesus says, if I can, of course I can. But obedience to God should trump our desires and even our perceived needs. I'm telling you, this is the gospel. This is the message of the word of God for each one of us. That even though we think we need, and even though we do have desires, that obedience to God trumps all of those things. The second thing is this. A dream is not dead until God says it is. I want that to sink into your spirit today because I don't find any evidence in scripture where God allowed a dream that he gave to ever die. But it is not dead until God says it is. And we need to understand that. So you can understand this in your personal life. That maybe there's a dream that you feel like God has put inside of you to do something for him or do something for others. Whatever it may be. Get a degree. Whatever. you Fill in the blank. That dream cannot die. If it's truly inspired by God, it will not die until God says it does. And He'll make sure it comes to pass if it's really from him. The Bible says that you are not to trust someone who calls themselves a prophet who says something that doesn't come to pass because they speak for God to people. So, and they stoned people like that in the Old Testament. If you said something that didn't come to pass, you were not to be trusted and you got kicked out of their society. So the idea and the understanding is, is that God's word is always true. It's always in his word that we have that you ought to read more often. Uh. And it's also always that his verbal word that comes through messages or prophecies or anything of a supernatural way in today's day and age outside of the word of God must be standing on the promises found inside of the word of God. Uh, There's a woman uh, I just read in the news this morning. A demon told her to steal a car. At least that's what she's telling the police. So the devil made her do it. Okay, this There are some stupid people that do some stupid things. And they've even been in the church. I know you don't know any of them. But I'm just saying, if God said it, he will make sure it comes to pass. Amen? At this point, Abraham's dead. Isaac is now the patriarch. God reaffirms his word to Isaac and says, I'm going to still do what I promised your father to do. I've already begun that work inside of you because you are alive today and have a family today, but I am going to bless you even more so. The third thing I see is this, that God's provision and his presence 
will always be present for those who obey him. God will always make sure that his kids are taken care of. Amen? Come on, you should put a smile on your face. This is good. His provision is there. Even if you get kicked out of whatever situation you're in and move to a different place, God is still with you. If you're still with him and obeying him, he is still trying to make sure that you are provided for and that his presence goes with you. He was with the Israelites in the wilderness, even though they complained and cursed their leadership. They cursed God himself. They were ungrateful. They were selfish. Does that sound like anybody you know? God's provision and his presence will always be with those who obey him. I'm convinced of this. We've talked about it before that in human relationships, you can be the responsible party or you can be the receiving end of distance in a relationship. You can walk away or the other person can walk away or formulate distance in between. When it comes to our relationship with God, there is never a moment. Because if there were a moment where God were to leave and let his presence leave our lives and his grace, we would fall dead. So God is not the one who is walking away. He is the father of the prodigal standing on the same porch every afternoon waiting to see his son return, come back to the place that he should be. This is really important for you to get. Number four is so good. My friend John O'Leary, pastor of Pine Lake, spoke these words to me recently and I shared them with you in, in a message. But just because it's hard doesn't mean It's not God. We could throw up our hands and go, oh, we could be like the Israelites after the Exodus when, you know, hundreds of years later, Moses and he's taking the people out and they're going, oh, you brought us out here to kill us? Why can't we go back to Egypt? They were complaining and complaining and complaining. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not God. So just because you walk through deep water, I love it. He says in his word, when you walk through deep waters, I will be with you. I will be with you. And he is God. He does not lie. Everything he has ever said has come or is coming true. You need to put this on your mirror or on your fridge, wherever you visit most. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not God. And the fifth thing I see is that living in obedience, really living in obedience to God brings his blessings. Obedience is hard. We might be far removed from that. I could, I look at Miss Sandra this morning and I think, who, who do you have in your life that you have to obey? You're your own woman. You got your own homestead. You do your own thing, right? So it it might be really fun and freeing, but she still has someone to obey, and that is God himself. We, when we were teenagers, and there's some in the room today, all we looked forward to was the day that we no longer had to obey. But the truth is, you have to obey when you get to a job. Then you, get, you got to obey when you have a family. You've got, there are th- God set up the world like this. And I'm telling you that when you live in obedience to God, it will always bring his blessings. Now, 
It's un, unlike what the TV preachers might have told you. It does not bring you a million dollar mansion, paid off bills and all that stuff. But it will bring God's blessing in your life. You'll have joy unspeakable and full of glory. In fact, when Paul writes to the churches like Corinth and Thessalonica, when he sends these letters to them, he says, you already have every blessing and you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's hard to wrap our minds around when we're like the Israelites were later on from the passage we're reading when they found themselves enslaved to remember what God truly did and said. In Clinton, people stop for refreshment from our natural springs. And today they might come for educational opportunities or economic opportunities. There's a huge tire plant. If I'm quoting the stat right or the phrase right, it's going to be the largest tire plant in the southeast that's being built here in, um, in the edge of Clinton towards Bolton, Continental Tire. They're supposed to start putting tires off the assembly line at the end of this year, first of next year. Hundreds, if not thousands of people will be employed there. The giant tall building, some of you who know this, some of you do know this, others don't. The giant building that's off the edge of the highway that holds the IRS offices and things like that, it held for years the first Fortune 500 company in a town our size. As small as we were, we hosted big names. Lockheed Martin, we hosted the predecessor to Verizon here in Clinton, Mississippi, So there's some great opportunities in the past and there's still some coming in the future. And God put a dream in the heart of a man over 46 years ago to start a church here in Clinton, Mississippi. And I believe with all my heart that there was a spiritual well that was dug at that time in this city, in this area, in this place. And I believe over time there are natural enemies and some supernatural enemies that would want nothing but to thwart the work of God and do like the Philistines did and plug up the well. Put some debris in it, throw some rocks back in it, clog it up, taint the water, and poison the supply. But I believe that the Holy Spirit has spoken a word to me that I want to give to you right now. I don't do this very often. I don't claim to be good at it. And I sure don't want it to be hokey or weird. But I believe with all of my heart that the Holy Spirit gave me words to speak to you today about our church. And if you say, hey, pastor, you know, I've been coming for a little while, but I don't really call this my church yet. Just bear with us. This is kind of like a home people Sunday, a home home crowd Sunday. I want to remind you first of what First Thessalonians chapter five says and the worship team, if they could come and join me. At the end of our service every week, we, we do several things that are pretty much repetitive. It's not because uh, we can't figure out anything else to do. <laughs> it's because we think that these things provide results. We have the worship team come back up. They play one song. We'll pray in a few minutes and then we'll be dismissed. But it gives us an opportunity to really respond to the message. And I think that's so important. The other thing that we oftentimes do is we pray a prayer and I encourage you to pray this prayer even today. And that is just these simple words. And I will say to you, it doesn't matter where you register. This is from the Holy Spirit right now. It does not matter 
what level of relationship you have with God. Whether you are steeped in sin, whether you've got something you're struggling with that's small and minor, or whether you are a believer for 40 years, wherever you're at on the scale, you ought to pray this simple prayer. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Because he wants to speak, I believe, to every human that lives on the earth. Believer, unbeliever, I truly believe that he wants to speak supernaturally. So that's what we do in the next few moments. But let me go back to what I believe the Lord has given to me as the direct word for our church. And let me remind you of what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says. It says this in verse 19. It says, do not quench the spirit. This is his encouragement to the church there to not put water on the fire kind of thing. Verse 20, it says, do not despise prophecies. So even though it might be something that's uncommon or we don't have it very often, we shouldn't just turn our nose up at it and not listen to it. Verse 21 gets even better. It says, but test, and let me help you with this translation, but test every word of prophecy. When it says test everything, if you just read that out of context, you might think that just means test you know, your tire pressure. No, this is talking directly about words spoken from God that we are to test them and to hold fast what is good. Notice he doesn't say anything to do with the bad. Just throw it out. <laughs> Just hold on to the good stuff. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I want to speak this message over our church. Holy Spirit, I'm so thankful that you're here in this place. I'm so thankful for the honor and privilege it is for me to pastor Celebrate Church. We've seen some good seasons and some tough ones. Father, I thank you that you've been God through it all. I thank you for this word today to our church. I believe the Holy Spirit says, I know your sacrifice and your generosity. Your love for me has motivated you to attempt great things in my name, and they have not been in vain. I have seen your struggles and that your faith has been tested. Remember this, I have called you and appointed you to be a light in your city that shines brightly, invading the darkness. I have placed this church here for my glory and honor, and I say I will complete the work I have begun there. Anchor yourselves to my word and you will not be destroyed, be destroyed by the winds of the world or the circumstances that you face. The Lord would say I am sovereign over every season and I am sovereign in this season as well. My dream for Celebrate Church has not yet come to pass but be assured it has not died either and it will not be replaced. Continue to love on the people in your city and offer them the hope that only I can give them. As you do, you will impact your world. Don't forget, but remember all that I have spoken to you and done through you in your years together. My words over you will not fail to come to pass you are to be patient, you are to continue to focus on me, and I will strengthen you. So put away the things that hold you back, 
remove the debris from your well, and I promise the spring will flow again freely. When you turn from your sins, you will experience times of refreshing once again in my presence. Lord, I thank you. Lord, we thank you for this word today to our church. We thank you that you're the God that knows and the God that sees. And Lord, although our present time together might be might have its challenges, God, our past has some amazing milestones. And I believe our future is so bright as we stay connected to you, brighter than we could even imagine. Would you stand with me today? I want to ask you this. There might be, you say, you know what, pastor, I'm not really sure about this whole thing with digging wells and all that kind of stuff for the church. And I don't belong here as a member and all that stuff. But today you're here and you say, you know what, but I have a spiritual well. The Bible actually communicates that truth to us, that each one of us, in fact, we sing an old song, spring up a well inside of me. And I believe that there are some people here today who have allowed the debris of today's culture, the debris of circumstances, the debris of job loss, it could be a million other things, to fill in the well. But I believe that God wants to allow the water of his spirit to run fresh and free in each one of us because as we are connected to him and we are connected together, there is nothing that God can't do. Amen. So today I want you to, as they, as they sing this last song right here and they encourage us through this time together, I want you to say, God, if there's anything in me that needs to be cleaned out and removed, help me today. Let me say this to you. And I I want to warn you, God is not a magician, but he is a miracle worker. You cannot say the, the words to God today. God, remove all the debris from my life because God wants you to do some of that removal. It takes your will. It takes your action. Yes, he'll give you the grace and the strength to do it and he will help you, but he will not do it alone. You must do it with him in partnership. The power that's mentioned in Acts chapter two, when it says that the Holy Spirit came upon the people And when Jesus said, you will receive power, it literally is the Greek word that we get our English word dynamite from. You will receive dunamis or dynamic dynamite power. This week, you need to depend on the Holy Spirit to help you with the debris in your well. And you need to allow his dynamite to help clear out some of that stuff. And you pick up the pieces with his help and that refreshment will come from him. Lord, I pray over Celebrate Church a prayer of blessing. Lord, I thank you that you are sovereign and Lord, your plans have not changed for us. You still desire us to love well, to impact our world and to grow together as the body of Christ. Lord, help us to do it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. We love you.